servant of God, Catherine Doherty, once said, What you do matters, but not much. What you are matters tremendously. Welcome to the 48th episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because it's not so much what we do to help those suffering around us, but more about who we are to them. That's how we're going to keep the light of hope alive. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, there's so much we can say about Kanye West and his very public presidential campaign, and we will cover a bit more in the next episode. But right now, I'd like to zero in on his vice presidential pick, a sort of preacher slash life coach named Michelle Tidball. She had a big impact in Kanye's life, and one quote of hers that's been making the rounds online is something I'd like to explore because I think it's uh, a lot of us believe it's great advice, but really it's stigmatizing, destructive, and dangerous. She said, quote, if you would get up every day and make your bed and do your dishes, you would be better. And she expounds on this by saying, in her 10 years of working with the mentally ill, none of them made their beds or did their dishes. I barely know where to begin, but I'll start with this. There's a pervasive misunderstanding of what mental illness is in our world. This advice that we so often hear, take a shower, make your bed, get dressed in nice clothes, get some exercise, smile more because smiling fixes your depression, etc., etc., etc. This is all fine advice for those of us who are kind of just in a rough spot emotionally in the middle of our otherwise healthy lives. Take our situation with COVID, for example, right? For those of us who otherwise are emotionally and mentally healthy, this kind of advice is a great game plan to help us stay that way through this rough situation. However, those of us suffering from chronic and persistent mental illness are living with an entirely different situation. We have to learn to understand that mental illness is similar to physical illness in that the little tricks and hacks that we have for staying happy don't necessarily have an impact. We don't tell anyone suffering from cancer to make their bed as a way of helping them feel better. Similarly, if we're coping with schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, PTSD, PTSD, anxiety, major depression, personality disorders, OCD, eating disorders, and the like, making our bed is not going to be the magic key that unlocks good mental health. We need treatment. We need support. We need therapy and or medication. So let's remember that. Let's remember the solution for deep and dark major depression, the kind that makes us consider suicide, feel hopeless, and experience an absolute loss of pleasure and joy in our lives will not be fixed by combing our hair or wearing a cute blouse. We need help. We need loved ones who are willing to help us get that help. And we need a world where stigma is destroyed and an understanding of what mental illness is actually like is what's pervasive. On to the next topic. What is dissociating? Why does it happen? How do we cope with it? Let's start with the definitions. We're getting this from WebMD. Dissociation is a break in how your mind handles information. You may feel disconnected from your thoughts, feelings, memories, and surroundings. It can affect your sense of identity and your perception of time. The symptoms often go away on their own. It may take hours, days, or weeks. You may need treatment, though, if your dissociation is happening because you've had an extremely troubling experience and 
are now living with PTSD or if you have a mental illness like schizophrenia. A little more from WebMD to help point, uh, paint the picture before we look at how to cope. You may notice changes in the way you feel, such as having an out-of-body experience, feeling like you're a different person sometimes, feeling like your heart is pounding or you're lightheaded, feeling emotionally numb or detached, feeling little or no pain. Other symptoms you can get are having an altered sense of time, not remembering how you got somewhere, having tunnel vision, hearing voices in your head, having intense flashbacks that feel real, becoming immobile, and getting absorbed in a fantasy world that seems real. We can most definitely start the coping process by observing our patterns of symptoms. And this is a great place to start, not only with this detachment common in PTSD, but for any of our mental health experiences. Not only does it help provide information for a helping professional once we engage in treatment, but it also gives us data from which we can start to have an honest assessment of our experience. In terms of detachment and dissociation, observing our patterns not only helps give us data on how often we're experiencing the symptoms, but also helps us to see threads in our experiences that might give us insight into why it's happening, what's causing it, and what we can do to cope in the healthiest way possible. Accepting and loving ourselves comes next. When we're experiencing something as serious as symptoms like this after trauma, it can almost seem like human nature to get down on ourselves. Why haven't I been able to deal with this better? My sister experienced the same kind of trauma and she's doing much better than me. How can I let myself become detached like this and not be in the present moment? In reality, the symptoms are intrusive, and if we could simply make them stop with an act of our will, we would. No one would choose to experience dissociation after traumatic events. No one would choose to be paralyzed by fear that something could trigger us to the point of losing touch with reality. And yet, we still treat ourselves like we could simply choose not to have PTSD. If we want to start finding peace and healing, we've got to stop this. We've got to take steps to accept ourselves and love to learn ourselves, uh, learn to love ourselves and all of our defenses. We've got to cut ourselves some slack and realize that we're trying to do the best we can with everything that has happened. This acceptance and this choice to love ourselves in spite of all of this is really huge. It's a big step forward toward finding that peace we deserve. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's scary. But if we keep working to increase our awareness, we keep working to get on gaining strength to make choices for wellness and make choices for learning how to experience peace, how to have healthy relationships built on trust, and how to move forward after the experience of trauma, it'll all be worth it. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint that can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm here to introduce you to Blessed Laura Vicuña. Born in 1891 in Santiago, Chile, Laura del Carmen Vicuña's parents were aristocrats, and their family was pushed out of their home after a revolution swept the country. After the death of her father, Laura's mother moved the family to be with her sisters in Argentina, where she took a job at a local hostel to help pay for Laura's education. Laura delved deeply into her Catholic faith and was mocked by her classmates because of this. On two separate occasions, she was beaten by the man who was paying for her education, a man who was in an abusive relationship with her mother. 
together, all because of her desire to become a religious sister. She kept going forward, though, and her dedication was so inspiring that the religious sisters gave her a scholarship to attend school after this new man in her mother's life decided to stop paying. Laura was still sad over her mother's situation, the abuse and difficulty she was going through, and made the decision to give her life for her mother. The biography of Blessed Laura Vicuña put together by the Salesians of Don Bosco provides the information for what came next. One day, remembering the phrase of Jesus, no one has greater love than to give up one's life for one's friends, Laura decided to give her life in exchange for her mother's salvation. As time passed, she became seriously ill with pulmonary tuberculosis. Before she died, Laura told her mother, Mama, I offer my life for you. I asked our Lord for this. Before I die, Mother, would I have the joy of seeing you repent? Mercedes, her mother, crying, answered, I swear I will do whatever you ask me. God is the witness of my promise. And Laura smiled and said, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Mary. Goodbye, Mother. Now I die happy. On January 22, 1904, Laura died of her disease, weakened by the physical abuse she previously received, having offered her life for the salvation of her mother. From 1937 to 1958, Laura's remains lay in a, a graveyard, and after which they were removed to Bahia Blanca. One of her famous sayings is, suffer silently and smile always. The bravery of this girl in the face of being torn away from her home and normal life, the death of her father and the grief that followed, the abuse she suffered and watched her mother suffer, only to offer her life for her mother in a way like this, I... I don't even know what to say other than to encourage you to ask for the intercession of Blessed Laura Vicuña when you're feeling helpless, lost, broken, and don't know where else to turn. She's surely ready and waiting to pray for you and ask Jesus to give you his peace and consolation. We like to close this part of the podcast out with a prayer. O oh, Blessed Laura Vicuña, you who lived in imitation of Christ to a heroic degree, receive our trust-filled prayer, obtain for us the graces we need, and help us to be faithful to the will of the Father with a pure and docile heart. Grant peace and fidelity to our families. Grant also that our lives, like yours, may shine forth with coherent faith, courageous purity, attentive and caring charity for the good of our sisters and brothers. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Anonymous gets us started. My mom has been struggling with mental illness for probably uh, over 10 years, and it's affecting our whole family. It's been getting more and more serious. We've been uh, playing the long game for so long, having small, gentle conversations here and there, trying our best to educate ourselves on mental illness, but it feels like nothing has worked. We were wondering how effective you think interventions are when trying to get someone to go to counseling or talk to their doctor about mental health symptoms. I've been trying to get her to bring me to a doctor's appointment, but so far, it's been unsuccessful. My sisters and I have all taken steps either through counseling, medication, or both to take care of our own mental health, but it's especially hurting my dad. Let's all start by joining together in prayer for Anonymous, her mother, and her entire family for peace, for steps in the right direction, and for good mental health. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. 
I really hope that our prayers bring your family comfort and grace for your mother to be willing to accept mental health treatment. Also, I'd like to say how amazing it is to hear that you and your sisters have reached out for help and taken the initiative to take care of yourselves after all you've had to walk through. It shows a lot of strength, and you deserve to hear that you have taken such an important step forward for yourself and your family by doing so. So this experience is one that we have to work through on a daily basis at my at my day job, a situation where a family member who is suffering from mental illness is unwilling to get help, and the impact on the family is really severe. So much worrying, so much turmoil, so much unnecessary stress and frustration. Interventions can work, but it really depends on the individual. For example, a lot of times families will tell their adult children, either you get help or you won't be able to live at my home anymore. And this can be a step toward encouraging the person to get help. However, it can also backfire. And we really have to know a person to understand how they might react. The first thing I would encourage is looking up your local NAMI chapter, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, N-A-M-I. They are a network of families who are in your exact situation, who provide support to each other, give ideas on what has worked and not worked in their own lives, and offer an open ear with understanding to all you've been through. A really, really great organization. Next, if you do want to have more conversations with your mother to encourage her to get help, I find the best approach is to look objectively at how she's functioning. It's a lot easier to get someone to see that they aren't taking good care of themselves, aren't having great success with interpersonal relationships, or aren't able to do the things they used to do that brought them joy. Another approach is to plainly say that the family feels like there's something going on that needs treatment, and the person we're trying to help clearly doesn't. So, how about we go to a doctor who can provide an objective opinion, and we'll go with it no matter what the doctor says. This can also help break the blockade and move things in the right direction. Like, sometimes we can say something to a loved one over and over again, and it's true, and we want them to get help, we need them to get help, and they won't hear it from us because it's hard to hear these things from family just because of everything we've been through together. So being able to say, let's go talk to an objective doctor who can do an assessment. If the doctor says you're fine, we'll lay off you. We won't say anything anymore. And if the doctor says maybe you could have a little help that would help you sleep better or feel better, you'll listen to that because it's a doctor giving you information, not someone in the family. That can really, really be helpful. We'll all be praying for you. Courtney is up next. Can you address manic behavior? What are the conditions under which this would occur? When I look up some of the behaviors online, like abnormally upbeat, jumpy, or wired, increased activity, energy, or agitation, exaggerated sense of well-being and self-confidence, euphoria, decreased need for sleep, unusual talkativeness, uh, I can relate to how I felt since I've been on anti-anxiety meds. My family pointed out that I'm constantly tapping my finger or foot. However, I'm I'm uh, on quite a low dose, and I'm wondering if it's just that I'm finally feeling so much better than before. Thanks so much for sending this in. Before we get started, let's all join together in prayer for Courtney that the Blessed Mother may intercede for her and for all that she needs. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. So mania is an experience of elevated mood, most commonly associated with bipolar 1 disorder. 
Some common symptoms that we could see in an individual experiencing mania are having higher than normal energy levels, being restless or unable to sit still, having a decreased need for sleep, having increased self-esteem or confidence, what we call grandiosity, being extremely talkative, having a racing mind or having lots of new ideas and plans, being easily distracted, taking on multiple projects with no way to finish them, having decreased inhibitions, having increased sexual desire, engaging in risky behavior such as impulsive sex, gambling with life savings, or going on big spending sprees. It could be that you're truly experiencing this situation, or it could be, like you mentioned, that you're finally just feeling good. The best thing to do is to talk with your prescribing provider about what you're going through and work with them to see the best way forward. One other note, there's also something called hypomania, which is a common experience for people with bipolar 2 disorder and is usually described as a mood state or energy level that is elevated above normal, but not so extreme as to cause impairment. Uh, just something else to consider. And I should also say, uh, it's extremely common for us to read the symptoms associated with mental illness and then start to see ourselves in those symptoms and disorders. Most of us start to believe uh, we have every diagnosis when we're studying psychology in grad school, right? So I I always caution people to look through symptoms on online and self-diagnose. It's definitely helpful to look into things and educate ourselves, but we've got to work with someone who understands these experiences and has seen them over and over again to really help us get a right understanding of what's going on. Anonymous brings us on home wanting to know, quote, what to do when a friend, 13 at the time, confides in you about an incestuous assault from their childhood but you're also close to the perpetrator who was 11 at the time. I need a Catholic perspective on this, and I know it's a difficult topic to discuss. First of all, let's pray for Anonymous, their friend, and for an end to sexual abuse and exploitation in our world. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Thank you so much for sending in this question, Anonymous. I think this is a topic that a lot of people will want to hear more about, but like you said, nobody wants to talk about it. This is such a hard thing to deal with. As a friend, realizing we don't have any control over what someone decides to do, even though we can give them advice. I think the best first step for this person would be to get connected to a therapist who could help them start to work through the trauma, but not everyone is open to that idea. As a friend, your role would be one of listening, offering unconditional positive regard, really validating and normalizing their feelings and their experiences, and never pushing them toward what you might think is best, the next best step for them. This would be saying things like, it must be difficult and painful to be dealing with something like this, or given what happened to you, I completely understand how you're feeling. It sounds like a difficult situation for you uh, to be in, knowing that a friend was abused in this way by someone else you're close to, and I'm sure it brings up all kinds of questions for you as well. Questions like, how do you respond to this person now that you know this information? Do you just go by what your friend said or do you need to confirm it with uh, before you allow yourself to experience feelings of like anger toward the other person? Do you get counseling for yourself? Can you trust someone who was an abuser at 11 years old now that they're an adult? 
These are all difficult questions that take time to work out. And reflecting back on one of them, yes, I think if you're having these kinds of questions, getting involved in some kind of individual therapy of your own to work through them might be the best first step for you. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on and support the cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.